Amen. I'm sure you've heard it said, or it maybe even you've said it, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I disagree with the knucklehead that wrote that. Would anybody else? I just do not agree. Words will never hurt me, but, but I, I'll take sticks and stones any day. Anybody else? I, I mean, I'll take sticks and stones. I'll endure the physical pain because it seems as though my body still heals faster than my soul heals. It, it seems that way to me because words hurt. Would you agree with me on that? Words really hurt, and it's not just the words that are said, it's the words that are not said sometimes that hurt just as much. How many know what I'm talking about? I sit with more people that have more wounds, not just over the words that are said, but it's over the words that are not said. Words like, I love you. Words like, I forgive you. Words like, I'm proud of you. Word statements like, you are meaningful to me. It's those words that we long for and look for, and some of us never get the opportunity of hearing those words. So wrong words and unspoken words have a major impact on the trajectory of our life. It's the words said and the words that are not said. And, 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 and watch this, words, words, I just added this line to the message this morning, so I hope you'll amen this. I'm priming the pump for you to say amen, all right, everybody? Words are, words are usually what start and what end a conflict. I don't think we end conflict with guns and wars and, and fights. I think we end conflict with words because words have power to them, right? And, and, and how many know we can be crushed by words, but how many also know we can sail for weeks on one compliment? One encouragement. Am I right about this? Yeah. And, and watch this. The reason I'm bringing this up is I, I want to preach this to the church crowd because if you're a Christian, you have to steward your words so carefully. As Christians, our words used to mean a lot, but our words are meaning less and less because we've used our words recklessly. Uh. I'm back. <laughs> I'm back, everybody. Come on now. And, and, and here's what I hear a lot of times from Christians. Well, I'm just being honest. Nobody cares about you being honest. I'm, I'm just being honest. Well, let me clarify some things on that statement. Honesty is saying what is true. It's making sure that what you say, it is true. But it's not saying everything that is true. It's not just blabbing everything that's true. Come on. If you say everything that is true, you will have no friends. And we wonder why those that don't believe the way we believe don't join our circle because maybe we're too busy saying everything that is true but not learning how to say what is true. Okay, I'm going back on vacation now. All right, everyone. How many of you hear what I'm saying? Well, I'm just being honest. I just got to tell them like it is. No, you weren't being honest. You were being mean. That's what you were being. And it's not life-giving. And God has called us to be life-giving. Mm, I see elbows going on already, and I didn't expect it. In this series, what I want us to do is I want us to consider how to confront conflict in our life. 
And maybe confronting it is avoiding it in some ways. Maybe it's reconciling, and, and, and some want to reconcile but don't know how. That's what I want to walk through. And, and like I said, it's going to just be very practical list today more than anything. So let's, let's bring up some working definitions to confront. The word confront is, the meaning is to a meeting face-to-face to deal with a problem or a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. I, want you, I want that to sink in. A meeting face-to-face. Um, we like meeting in our culture today, not face-to-face, but Facebook-to-Facebook. That was pretty good. I just came up with that on the spot. I kind of liked it anyway. But it's true. We, we, we don't want to have the maturity to sit down and say, hey, here's what I'm conflicted about. We want to spread it out there and see how many people join it by liking what we said. So we have a force behind us. And how many know that is not the way to go about conflict? So, so confronting means face-to-face. Conflict, the definition I want to use in this series, is a clash between individuals arising out of differences in thought process, attitudes, understanding, interest, requirements, and even sometimes perceptions. In other words, friends, in life we will have conflict. Somebody said, well, can't we just all get along? No, we won't because we're different. I don't even get along with myself. Anybody else argue with yourself? How do you expect to get along with your spouse or anybody else if you're fighting with yourself? It's true. No, we can't get along because we're all different, but we can take our differences and learn how to live at peace and not force everybody to look like, act like, talk like we do. Come on, friends, right? Well, with that in mind, I couldn't help it. I'm not going to call this an extension of the book of Ephesians, but let's go back to the book of Ephesians, everybody. Because while we were doing the book of Ephesians, one verse stood out to me. I almost couldn't preach what I was trying to preach because it just kept coming right back to me as I was standing here. And and we kind of skimmed over it. But I want to make this whole part one out of Ephesians chapter number four, verse number 29. And here's what it says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now, when we see the word unwholesome, a lot of times we think that means crude. Uh, but it's, it's deeper than that. Watch this. But only what is helpful for building others up. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine all the words that you use, they go into one of two categories. They either go, I want you to see your conversations almost like a construction zone. I want you to see that your words either are tearing something apart or they're building something up. Because that's kind of the language that Paul is using here. He says, only, only, did you get that word? Only what is helpful for building others up. According, and it gets worse, according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. Wow, there's a lot there, isn't there, huh? Their needs. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but let me confess my sins to you for just a minute. I don't always want to say what they need. 
okay, uh, let me find somebody that I can uh, agree with on that. Have you, I don't always want to say the thing I know. They might need an encouragement, and inside I'm like, I ain't giving it to them. I'm not giving it to them. I'm just not. Especially drama queens. You know, they're, 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 they're laying down every clue that they need an attaboy card, and everything in that makes me want to say, I'm not saying nothing. You know, I, and, and I don't know what evil is in me, but the Bible tells me that I should say something that builds them up. See, what happens if you're like me, I want to say what I feel, not what they need. I want to feel better about the turmoil I'm going through, so I would rather puke on them and leave them to clean up the mess that I just puked out on them. Come on now. Uh, I, I know it's hard for you to realize that somebody's being that on, but that's usually because usually my mind is spinning about what I need to say to get it off my chest rather than say what would help them through the conflict. Can anybody relate? Maybe it's not you, but how many know somebody like me? I'm, Right? Uh, so most of the time we're more dialed into that rather than what others need to hear. And the reason this is so important, I want, I want the church to lean into this because the reason this is so important for Christians to hear is because Christianity is an other's first life that we chose to live when we die to ourselves and make Jesus our Savior and decide to live by his code of conduct that says love your enemies more than yourself. Woo, come on, I've been saving up for two weeks for you. Come on now, right? Uh, You see, Christianity is about being life-giving, And I think we've lost that message. I mean, so many of the sermons that I tune into, they're not life-giving. It's like, how does anybody go to that church? I I feel beat up listening to five minutes of it. It's not building anybody up according to what they need to hear. And and it's really hard to remember. It, It sounds good on a Sunday, right? Like I'm preaching, let's love one another, and everybody's, yeah. And then Monday rolls around. And you have to drive on this highway out here. And you have to go to your office or your construction site. And everybody else that you're going to be at work with, they weren't in the service you were in. Come on, right? I know you keep saying, hey, download this app. I I know that. And it's tough because it's hard to remember to be life-giving when, uh, I don't know, maybe you have some of these people in your life, when we live with the critic. Anybody have a, have a critic? Anybody been criticized? Anybody know a critic? Don't point at them, just amen or whatever. Right? Maybe they'll get the hint. Or It's hard to be life-giving not only when we have the critic, but what about the martyr? You have to spend any time with the martyr? The martyr is the forever the victim person. You know any of these? It's like they will always one-up how bad their circumstance is. You're trying to pour out your heart, and they're like, oh, you think you got it bad. Oh, wait till you hear. Let me tell you about me. And it's always bigger. It's the martyr. It's like, what do you do with them? And they're closely related to the wet blanket. Anybody know the wet blanket? I used to call the wet blanket Debbie Downer, but we have too many Debbies in our church now that have sent me emails, so I don't want to do that anymore. 
I'm just kidding. You didn't send me emails. But so now I just call them the wet blanket because how many know they're not all named Debbie? How many know what I'm talking about? We have some Daryls too. You know what I'm saying, right? Uh, It's the wet blanket. They're just always pessimistic and and, and just always automatic. Oh, we shouldn't do that. If we do that, you know, we're going to, and it's always negative. Or, Or how about the steamroller? Anybody know a steamroller in your life? They, they just, they're blindly insensitive. They're insensitive to others. They just enter into the room. They're the loudest. Wait a minute, that sounds like me. Okay, yeah. They're the loudest. They just roll over the top of people. Or, or there's the gossip that you're trying to deal with. And how do I deal with the gossip? And now, gossipers are like ninjas. They are ninjas, man. I'm telling because they can be in the church and they will move around so crafty you don't even realize what they're doing until they've robbed you blind. They're like ninjas because they camouflage it in Christian language. Oh, have you heard about Brother Mike? We just need to pray for him. Bless his heart. And, and then they begin to talk about things under the disguise of prayer that they shouldn't be talking about. And these people, I don't want to say something to build them up. I want to say something to tell them off. Can anybody agree with me on this? Right? Uh, and, and so we have the gossip. Or how, how about this one? We have the controller. You know, that, this person just wants to control everything, unable to let go, unable to hear a different opinion, unable to let you talk, uh, all those. Or, or how about how do we be life-giving to the backstabber? Come on. I told you, I got so much material for this series. <laughs> all of these people have been in my life. And all of these people could be sitting in a black chair. Yeah. See, we think the church is supposed to be perfect, but the church is made up of these people that hopefully are here to change. But in the process of change, they're going to accidentally stab you in the back again. They're going to accidentally gossip again until they hear a message like this. And from now on, we will all live happily ever after. Right? The backstabber. I mean, come on, that's the two-faced. They'll brag on you to your face and turn right around to the next person and destroy your life. Or how about the cold shoulder person? You ever met this person? You never know what they're thinking. It's like, come on, dude, I said hi to you. What is your problem? They disengage. They avoid contact. Or how about this one, the volcano? Anybody know Vicky the volcano? (laughs) That just came out. I don't know. All right. I mean, the volcano, you just never know what's going to be the last little straw, and they just puke everything out. Or how about the competitor keeps track of everything? Just every, oh, you insulted me a week ago, so I get to give you an insult today, right? They just keep track of everything. Now, I'm having a little fun with this, but I'm putting some on the board because, Ken, it sounds good on a Sunday service to talk about how we all get along, but what do we do with some of these characters, Well, we line them up. No, I'm just kidding. All right. See, Christianity, sometimes we forget because we live in especially Western culture where there's this hyper-Christianity is all about how much we get blessed. But we forget in the message of how much we get blessed that it's also a message of dying to self. Christianity is about dying to self and caring 
about others. That's what our video was all about. Our video, we applauded, we highlighted, because it was all about how do we care about other people. And I think that sometimes we say so much in the church world that we lose our voice, and the church just becomes a bunch of white noise because we fight no different than the world fights. But what if, what if our words were life-giving? Notice the next part of this verse. The next part of this verse says that it may benefit those who listen. That it may benefit those who listen. So even when I'm standing up in front of a public place, is it benefiting those that listen? If I'm at a coffee meeting, is it benefiting? If what I have to say, how is it benefiting those um, that it may benefit them? Even when we need to say hard things. Even when we need to say uncomfortable things. See, Proverbs 15.4 says it like this. It says that the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Can I translate that? It's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? Come on. Husbands, how many have heard that more than once? Let me see your hands. Come on now, right? It's exactly right. And watch this. Here's what's powerful about this verse. People know when we are saying hard things hmm, with us in mind, or if we're saying hard things with them in mind. They know. Look, I got something hard to say, and they can tell whether it's you just venting, getting it off your chest, or you genuinely care. It's why sometimes some of the hardest messages I preach from up here, I get some of the biggest compliments because people know it's not about me. I want to help you along on your journey with Christ. And, and so people know that. And in fact, this is tweetable right here. Intent is as important as content. Come on, I was really expecting an amen on that. The, the intent, what's behind the intent, your motivation is just as important, sometimes more important than the content or the thing or the conflict that you need to bring out. And it's difficult to trust the words if we don't trust the intent. Mm. If we don't trust that person and we don't trust the intent, when we know they have our best interest in mind, at least we can lean in a little. At least we can at least hear it. We might disagree with it, but at least we can lean into it. And as Jesus followers, we got to get this right, everybody. We got to get this part of it right. And so I want to give you three principles this morning, three principles to consider when we open our mouths. Three principles to consider when what we say or what's said to us create the conflict in our life. So let's look at them. Number one, conflict with others might be triggered by unresolved hurts within myself. I I, I didn't know how to say that shorter. So conflict with others. Have you ever been in life where you're in a conflict with someone and, and underneath all of it you recognize, wait a minute, this is more about me than it is about them. Anybody besides me? Have you ever been in a knockdown, drag out fight and all the while you're fighting to defend your position you recognize, wait a minute, I've seen this argument before somewhere. 
Anybody at all? I need somebody that I can preach to today. Okay, me and you, girl. All right, here we go. So, right, I, I mean, it's like I, I've been in arguments with, with my wife, and I realized, wait a minute, this isn't even about the issue. This is about something that happened before I ever met her, and it's just coming out right now, but I don't know how to deal with what happened to me way back then, so she is now the catalyst of all my venting. Come on now. I'm arguing about, I, I one time broke off a date with a girl I was dating in high school because she made a comment about my dad. And I was like, you don't even know my dad. And I wasn't mad at her for not knowing my dad. I was mad at me for not knowing my dad. So I kicked her out of the car. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm having a conflict right now based on something that happened or didn't happen a long time ago. Maybe that's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. We got a lot of plank eye people walking around. Got like a plank. I love the illustration. I don't know if he's just trying to be silly or like just get our attention, but like a plank, not a sliver, like a board, a two by six sticking out. What's interesting about it though is that they're both made out of the same material. The plank and the sawdust all stem from the same thing. Mm, you hearing that? Uh, let me give you a couple examples from my own life because you like it better when I'm the bad guy and the guinea pig. So, so most of you know this part of my story, but I had someone repeatedly tell me when I was a child, especially young, young, in, in my formative years, and it continued through uh, most of my uh, childhood years, but I had someone repeatedly tell me these words. They said, you're, first of all, they'd say, you're never going to amount to anything. Well, well, how many know that can damage a kid, right? Because you could believe what someone in authority says over you. And so you'll never amount to anything. Or you're just like your father, which I knew that their view of my father was no good. Or, or, or this one goes along with it. You're so stupid, and then they would always come up with the next line. You're so stupid that. And so I heard that a lot. Now watch this. That created a lot of conflict in my life. It created a lot of conflict with people that looked like, sounded like, acted like the person that said that. It created a lot of conflict with people that didn't look like, act like <laughs> people that said that in my life. And, and the place that it showed up the most that I began to understand was first in my marriage and in my ministry. And so I grew up with this. Now, let me put this in context. So I grew up hearing that, and then in my high school years, I moved to Mississippi, which was the poorest state in the Union, and then in the poorest state in our nation, I went to the poorest high school in our nation, and, and, and I didn't do good in school because I moved around so much. I never did good in school. By the time I got to high school, I was working full-time, and we were in a poor high school, and the teachers were just trying to graduate us out of there, and I'm working full-time. Most of my teachers looked the other the way and gave me just enough grades to get by. And, and don't look at me like I'm stupid because you're here listening to me, all right? <laughs> yeah. 
It affected my thinking. And so I began to believe that. And then you couple that with my high school experience and my school experience, and I began to believe that. I'm too stupid. I'm too stupid to go to college. I'm not good enough to. I'm not this. And what that does is it creates a stronghold because it affected the way I thought about things. And a stronghold is a wrong way of thinking about things. And so everything that happened back there was the catalyst of so much of my conflict right now. Let me give you an example. In my marriage, when we first got married, when Patty and I first got married, she would disagree with me. And, 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 and people disagree, right? Marriages disagree. Come on now, right? Don't even, don't even get me going down that path. Because you're lying. We all disagree. And, 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 and so, but I didn't view a disagreement like most people viewed a disagreement. When she would disagree with me over the dumbest thing in the whole world, I want to go to Olive Garden. No, I want to go eat Mexican food. And, and, and I would turn it into a fight all because she disagreed. Because my brain told me that I was stupid and that my way was not right. Her way was right. So I would try to convince her that I'm not stupid and my way is right. And, and the more I would try to convince her, the more she would be quiet. The more she would be quiet, the louder I would get because the only tool I had in the toolbox was anger. So I was ready to fight whether we ate spaghetti or tacos. Tell me that's not demented, right, everybody? And so it would play into those things. And so I would get defensive and I would get angry. We've been married 35 years now, and I can honestly say this. We don't fight anymore. And I don't say that to brag. We do fight, but we don't fight one another anymore. Because we've come to the conclusion that the fight isn't even about us. It's about something that happened prior to us or prior, come on, it happens because there's something. See, what happened is she began to realize when I got mad, I wasn't really mad. I was fearful. And she was able to look past the anger and see the fear and, 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 and see the feelings of inadequacy. And then she realized, man, I'm not fighting him. I'm fighting all those words that were said for all those years. That's what I'm fighting against. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and dark places, right? And then I would see her quietness, and I would start seeing, wait a minute. It's not that she has nothing to say. It's that she's trying not to pull fuel on the flame and and her quietness might be out of fear also. Come on. And so we begin to not fight one another, but when we teamed up and said, come on, girl, let's fight this enemy that's against us. Come on. Because if God be for us, he is more than the world is against us. Come on, everybody. So, so it affected. It affected my marriage. It affected my ministry. I almost didn't go into ministry. I started ministry when I was 19, and I didn't go to Bible college because I felt like I was too stupid. I'd never make it, and I didn't even barely have a high school education. I didn't know how to study. God kind of has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Here I am, right? And so I remember this one time I had taken my first church, and I'd been to some other countries and preached in some other places, so I always thought, well, the pastor's supposed to bring his church on what we would call missions trips, and so I hooked up with this missionary in the Bahamas, and we were going to take a group of guys to the Bahamas, and all the while, I'm trying, I'm like, I, I, at the time, I'm not even 30 years old yet. 
and I got 18 guys, all of them older than me, that I'm going to take to the Bahamas for a missions trip. We're going to build buildings. We're going to preach crusades. I have no idea what I'm doing. And how many know the enemy will constantly sit on your shoulder? You're, you're too stupid to do this. You can't do this. You'll never amount to anything. This is going to be a disaster. And it started out as a disaster. We showed up to the Detroit airport, and the missionary that was supposed to guide us through the whole trip, he wasn't there. He didn't show up. But I got 18 guys with me. And so I decided my motto is fake it till you make it. We're getting on the plane. Because <laughs> I don't want them to know that I'm stupid or that I feel stupid or inadequate. I want them to come on. See, my loudness or my confidence was often a camouflage for the feelings that were really going on underneath it all. The conflict that was going on. One of the things we're going to deal with in this series is what happens when you're conflicted with yourself. Yeah, and, and so, so anyway, we go to go to the Bahamas, and, and I'm like, yeah, we'll just get on the plane, I'm sure. And this is before the day of cell phones. I don't know where the missionary is. The missionary has all our paperwork, where we're going, all this stuff. And if you've ever flown out of the country, what happens is when you land in the other country, you go through this thing called customs, and they ask you, where are you going? What are you going to do? And what's the address? And who do you know here? And I'm like, uh... And so they put us in airport prison. They did. Me, the pastor, and 18 people from my church. I'm like, I'm the pastor, yeah. And don't you think the enemy's saying, you're too stupid to do this kind of thing. And finally, they got in touch with some assistant that came and got us. Let me finish the story. This has nothing to do with a message. But it came and got us, and they brought us literally to this, like, safe house, this, like, halfway house. I feel like now I'm a prisoner with 18 guys that I know are wanting to say, I told you so, Ken, but out of respect for my office, they didn't say this. They open the door to this home we're going to stay in until the missionary catches his flight and catches up with me, the knucklehead. And as he turns on the light to this place, there's one big square room about the size of this auditorium, has a kitchen, some bathrooms, and loaded with bunk beds. And as he turns on the light, you can hear... Now, I grew up in the South, and a lot of times when we turn on the lights, roaches go running, all right? Now, now it wasn't roaches, though. It was lizards, and I am not kidding you, there were lizards all over the walls. And I'm like, what? And, and the missionary assistant, he, he says, well, the lizards won't hurt you. I'm like, they're hurting me now. <laughs> and he said, no, the lizards aren't what you got to worry about. When you go to bed tonight, you have to shake your blanket and your pillows because, and he starts naming all these poisonous spiders. And I'm like, well, I'm, 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 on a, I'm on a fast. I'm not sleeping. I'm, I'm, I'm being like Jesus. I'm praying through the night for the crusade. You know what I'm saying? And I'm feeling stupider by the moment. He also named all these poisonous snakes they had. And he said, by the way, the hospital is three blocks down the road. I'm like, what? And he said, and, and, and he named all these poisonous snakes and said, and if you get bit by this snake, um, you need to get to the hospital like you got five minutes. And when you go to the hospital, bring the snake that bit you. This will help them treat you. And I'm thinking, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I've never caught a snake before. I didn't go to snake catching school. This was never part of my training. And if I try to catch the snake, I'm going to get bit 30 more times before I even get it down there. I'm going to die on this trip. You know what I'm talking about? And see, the reality is what happens to us in the past. Now, I'm making fun of it now, 
But inside, there's all this insecurity that creates this conflict in our life. Let me show you a statement I want you to hear. The closer the relationship, the deeper the hurt. Because, see, somebody that didn't matter could have said, you're stupid. I, I have buddies in the locker room say, Ken, you're so stupid, and we laugh about it. But the deeper, the closer the relationship, the deeper the hurt. Mm-hmm. If a first-time visitor comes here, and, and I've never met them before, they've heard me speak for 45 minutes, and they make a judgment about me, I usually let it go in one ear and out the other. But if an elder comes to me in private and says, man, we've been in the trenches together, we've prayed together, we've cried together, I have something I wanted to share with you that has a whole lot more meaning to it. How many of you hear what I'm saying? Number two, I got to hurry. The second place is that, uh, number two, is that words are not equally weighed. When we're talking about conflict, some things I want you to consider before the conflict are words are not equally weighed. I, I almost bought a scale because I wanted to put positive words on one side and then put negative words on the other side. And is this not true in your life? You could put a hundred positive words on this side, and as soon as you put one negative word on this side, it outbalances that. At least that's how I am. See, nobody would argue that the power, the power of words, but we forgot that our words don't have the same amount of power. Negative words weigh more than positive words. And it's not only the negative words, it's who the words come from that matter. So Christians, we have to be guardians of our mouths because we're the who that it's coming from to the rest of the world. Here's what's interesting about this. I opened up with somebody calling me stupid as a kid. I remember the negative, and I can't remember the positive. I don't know. Maybe the person said positive things. Maybe that person said they loved me. Maybe the person said they were proud of me. But I don't remember any of that. I can't find it in my memory. What I remember is being pointed at and saying, you're so stupid that. See, I don't remember the positive. I remember the negative because negative seems like it always outweighs the positive. And with that in mind, dads, <laughs> your roles, your words, parents, but dads, your words are powerful. Well, I'm a man of few words. That's okay. You can be a man of few words. It, but if you're a man of few words, then make your words count. If you're a man of few words, then be a man of few words and choose the words you use. And, and, and parents, especially dads, if you want your correction to impact your kid's direction, oh, I kind of like that. If you want your correction to impact their direction, then you must change your ratio. Because if negative words have more weight than positive words, and even more so when it's apparent then maybe the ratio ought to change. Maybe it ought to be 50 good things to one negative. M that might be low. Maybe it ought to be 100 good things to one negative. You know what I know? Any person with a half a brain can find the negative. But it takes somebody living life on purpose that can find the positive. Amen? Come on now. Let me go to number three because I'm running out of time. Number three is we will misunderstand and be misunderstood. How many of you have ever been misunderstood? Let me see your hands. Woo! The rest of you have just never opened your mouth or something. 
It's so true. We're going to be misunderstood. And I'm going to talk about that later in this series. What do we do when we're, when we're misunderstood and we hurt somebody's feelings? How do we resolve that? I'm going to deal with that in this series today, in this series also. But here's uh, conflict's going to happen, and how we handle conflict determines the success. See, what happens when there's conflict, the problem is not really the problem. The problem is how you handle your problem. That becomes the real problem. Did you follow that? Yeah. And, and so let me give you some wrong ways to handle conflict, all right? Here's some wrong ways. Number one is winner takes all. See, I grew up in a home where the loudest person, the most obnoxious person, the grittiest person, whoever could last the longest, whoever could draw the fastest, they won the argument. But I learned in marriage that doesn't work because we, we would have a disagreement. Oh, pew, And I'm quick on my feet. I make a living with words. So I could out-talk her. And I could out-yell her. And I could be louder than her. And I'm glad she's not stronger than me or she would have beat me up a lot of times. (laughs) But I learned how to. And then I realized, well, wait a minute. She didn't even get her guns out of the holster. So then I started getting fancy, you know. Pow! You know, like, it's winner take all. It's who's ever the quickest draw. But how many know that does not resolve it? Because you can win the shootout and lose the marriage. (laughs) Now, this next one comes with an asterisk that I want to explain a little bit. Okay, the second wrong way to handle conflict is number two is walk away. Now, this one comes with an asterisk because some of you do need to walk away. But sometimes in the convenience of peace, we let too many unresolved issues lay there that have never been resolved. Now the next fight is not about the fight. It's about all the unresolved things that you walked away from and refused to face at the time. (laughs) Wow. Welcome back, Ken. All right. And this is one's dangerous because there's some personalities in the room that are going to go home today and say, "Uh uh-uh, no, uh uh-uh, we are going to talk about it now. Oh, no, uh-uh, get on. I don't know how you girls do that thing, you know, like you flip the hair and it ain't happening here, right? It's like, and you're chasing us down. You heard, Pastor, you're not walking away from me. Man up and be a man of God, you know, that kind of thing. So we got to be careful for that person. But also, we got to quit running away from everything and learn how to face-to-face, not run away. And I have this feeling that we've been told so much not to walk away that we're not fighting good. We can fight. I love MMA, but MMA has rules, rules of engagement. There's ways you fight and there's ways that you don't, which should be applied to Christians. There's ways we have disagreement, right? Okay, and so what, what, what I mean by walking away is peace at any price. See, I have to have the maturity. Watch, Jesus one time walked into a room and said, you bunch of vipers. But then he's on a cross being made fun of and he doesn't say a word. The maturity or the discernment is knowing what battles to choose and what battles to leave alone. Somebody not long ago, this has been six months ago, I remember it very specifically, somebody said something really just wrong to me, and, and I was ready, like, oh yeah, and, and I literally felt the Holy Spirit say, let it go, it ain't worth it. There's no investment. You're never going to see this person again. You're not invested with this person. You're not doing life with this person. You don't need to waste the energy trying to convince them that they're wrong and you're right. On the other hand, 
just a few weeks ago, somebody said something that I do do life with, and the relationship is important to me. And they said something in an accusational kind of way, and I began to try to say, no, that's not what happened. And then they spouted back, well, you're just being defensive. And, and I was like, well, of course I'm being defensive <laughs> because you attacked a situation. Now I want to defend my stance, and let's see if we can negotiate. It's not peace at any price because if we don't resolve it, there's this person that's family in my life, not my immediate family, but extended family that I can't have relationship with because years of things have never been talked about, never been resolved. They pretend it never happened. So all I have when I see that person is all this unresolved stuff that's never been resolved because there's been constant walking away. Sometimes we got to face the music right now so that it doesn't come up later to the 10th degree. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right, that one needed a whole message in itself. Let me cover a couple others. Here's some wrong ways to handle. Complain to others about it. Naughty, naughty. Number four is use your position. Have you ever had that? No way, it's my way or the highway, right? Use your position. Or the last one is you could hire a hitman. All right, that's the four. <laughs> I just thought I'd get your attention. I was just making sure. That, that one, don't write that one down. I see people that have never taken notes in their life. They're like, yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! Okay, let me do a couple more. I got to let you go. All right, here's some goals of confrontation. I'm just going to list these real quick. Uh, to gain a better understanding, to create positive change, number three is to build a stronger relationship. Let me end with this. Let me give you some real steps to conflict resolution, and we'll build on these as the weeks go. Number one is you got to look at yourself. It, you have to first start right here. When you point your finger, there's three pointing back at you. Come on, we learned that in kindergarten, right? Dealing with difficult people is always, the, is always a problem, especially if the difficult person happens to be me, right? Let me, let me give you this one rule that I've learned in ministry. And anybody that's named Bill, forgive me, all right? If Bill and Bob have a problem, and Bill and Sue have a problem, and Bill and Jane have a problem, and Bill and Sam have a problem, and Bill and Eddie have a problem, the chances are the problem is Bill. It's crazy. Well, I can't get into all that church stuff, all right? But one of the things I've learned about conflict is every conflict I've ever been in, I'm always there. <laughs> I've never had a conflict that I've been on vacation for. I'm like, no, I was, I don't know. I, no. I'm always in it, right? Come on, everybody. <laughs> Number two is you got to look at the other person. When you look at the other person, here's something real quick. There's hiders, hurlers, and healers. Hiders, they don't share the truth. They'll never talk about the truth. You can't get, and a lot of people will hide with sarcasm behind the truth. Oh, that's a message. There's hurlers. They share the truth, but they don't do it in love. A lot of Christians are great on this. We'll take to social media, and we will give scripture that is truth, but it's not in love. It's like you just made that great verse into the most hated verse ever. Or there's healers. They share the truth in love. Number three, these are conflict resolution. Number three is meet together as soon as possible. The Apostle Paul said this, don't let the sun go down. Why? Because it grows roots. And now the next fight is not about the fight, it's about 
the pent-up, angry, I'm still mad at you about, right? I must be on a nerve. Number four is identify the issue. What describes what, it describes what you perceive that the other person is doing. How? Tell them how this makes you feel. Why? Tell them why this is important to you. And, and, and when? When are we going to fix this? Okay? So, so identify the issue. And uh, let me close with some stats that I think are important. When confronting a person about conflict issues, Here's some of the things I've discovered. Real quick, let's just put these on the board and I'll end. 50% don't realize there's a problem. This isn't, with me. this isn't original with me. I've actually studied this out and found this. 50% don't realize that there's a problem. 30% realize there's a problem but don't know how to solve it. How many have ever been in this boat? Yeah, I was in this boat a lot early in marriage. I knew there was a problem, but I didn't have the tools in my toolbox to know how to solve it. So I figured if we gave each other the silent treatment long enough, one day we'd wake up and everything would be better. Don't laugh too loud because some of you have used that method also. Okay? All right? 20% realize there is a problem, but don't want to solve it. (laughs) I've been that person too. Yeah, and, and I told you, I'm just, over this series of conflict, I'm just going to preach all my issues, and you're going to love it because I'm not talking about you, all right? Eighty percent of the time, there is potential to solve the conflict. That's a pretty good stat. That's worth the battle. That's worth the discomfort of saying, hey, can we get together? To me, that's worth it. Amen, everybody? All right, let me leave you with Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. They're not blessed. You would think that's how it reads, but blessed are the peacemakers. Amen. If you want to further study, read Matthew 18, uh, that chapter. Um, it's, it's just about if you have ought against a brother, how to go to that brother and all that. But I'm going to close right there. Would you stand with me all over this place today? Did you get anything out of that today?